The Granzadillo School of Business and Management at Pepperdine University proudly presents the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. This podcast invites top business practitioners and thought leaders to share their view on the real world of business. Hi, my name is Rick Gibson. I'm Vice President for Public Affairs here at Pepperdine University, and I am joined today by Dr. Linda Livingstone, who is the Dean of the Grazadillo School of Business and Management. Welcome, Linda. Thank you, Rick. It's good to be here today. Well, we're very excited about the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. It has been a tremendous series so far. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming the feedback for all the programs has been very positive. It has been. We've had an exceptional series this year with some really outstanding folks from companies like Herbalife, Coca-Cola, and Yahoo. So you can't beat that kind of a lineup. Absolutely. It's an outstanding program. Well, tell us today about your guest, Jerry West. Well, we are just really privileged to have Jerry West with us. He is obviously known for his years as a Laker, both as a player and coach and then as a manager. But now he's a head consultant with the Golden State Warriors. And so we are looking forward to hearing about his experiences and what that teaches us about leadership. Absolutely. Well, what a privilege to interview him. He's really a legend in Los Angeles and and beyond. So uh, let me invite our listeners to sit back and relax and to enjoy this interview with Jerry West. Well, we are very privileged today for our Dean's Executive Leadership Series to have with us Jerry West, who I'm sure everyone who's listening to us is very familiar with based on his NBA career for many years with the Lakers and uh, then as a coach and general manager and actually now with the Golden State Warriors. So, Jerry, we're just really privileged and thankful to have you with us today. Well, thank you. It's nice to be here, and um, I think it'll be fun to share some of my life and uh, some of the things that have led me in a direction that Frankly, I never dreamed possible. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've lived one of those lives that's been very charmed, mm-hmm. and um, because I have a skill, mm-hmm. and um, it has been obviously uh, frustrating at times. It's been testing, but it's something that has, uh, I, I think, to be involved in something you love um, certainly is maybe the most mm-hmm. motivational thing you can have in your life, and. Again, I've been so fortunate to do something I've loved. Mm-hmm. Well, you said you you know you had a great uh, opportunity because you had a skill, uh, but you only had that skill because you worked really, really hard at developing that skill, and then you've leveraged that skill in multiple ways through your life as a player, as a coach, as an executive in the NBA. So what sort of has driven that desire to develop that skill in a way that's really led to an entire <coughs> lifetime of career in professional basketball? You know, I think I grew up in a very small place and obviously less than desirable circumstances growing up where I grew up. I think the one thing that maybe I had and still have today, I have a very vivid imagination, Mm -hmm. very vivid. Sometimes I could imagine myself being whatever I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And along came this round ball. And that, for some reason, uh, kind of captured the um, my mind and led to all these incredible thoughts, mm-hmm. knowing full well that probably none of them were going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I realized that uh, when I was in high school um, that maybe I was just a little bit different because all of a sudden, instead of no one talking to you, I had all these people wanted to talk to me mm-hmm. and it, about going to school. 
um, it certainly wasn't about me being a student. <laughs> it was about me being an athlete. Right. And it's very flattering when someone uh, comes to you when you're shy and you're backward and socially inept uh, to come and tell you that they want you to come to their school yeah. and get a free education. That's the only way I could have gone to school. Um, to play a sport. Um, sometimes it doesn't seem right or fair mm -hmm. because we have so many gifted students and so many people who don't have that opportunity because of financial resources. And I was given an opportunity pretty much to go to any school I wanted to. And I chose my home state and my imagination um, um, would continue to grow. Mm -hmm. I could imagine myself, you know, maybe being a instead of a great high school player, um, who won all honors, our team won the All-State, mm -hmm. uh, we won the state championship. Um, all of a sudden, I'm thrust into a role that was completely different for me. Mm -hmm. And the awkward part of it was going to school, to be honest with mm -hmm. you. I, I was ill-prepared to leave uh, a little place of 500 people and all the people that I was so, so familiar with, and particularly my friends. And it, I think if it hadn't been for my roommate, I had two of them, uh, and one in particular, I'm not too sure I would ever made it through college mm -hmm. because I was homesick for a town of 500 people when there was really nothing there for me. Right. And growing, I think, as an individual um, really is about communicating with other students, uh, learning how to care mm -hmm. for yourself, uh, learning how to live a life away from your home. And it was a difficult process for me for a year and a half, a very difficult process, but all of a sudden, you know, as a, as a player, I, I blossomed even more and against better competition. And suddenly, you know, my name's in the paper a lot. Uh, I became kind of a national figure. And I used to question that all the time. And I would say to myself, you know, I'm just a very average, normal person, quiet and shy. Uh, why has this happened? And again, I started thinking back and all these crazy dreams I had as a kid, making the last second shot, winning championships, um, uh, you know, being the best player in America, uh, those were right there. Mm -hmm. And that's when you know that you are different. Mm -hmm. You do know that. And you also know by how people interact with you. But I didn't even know that at all mm -hmm. because I didn't want to hear it. Because, as I say, that's not what my life entailed. My life was about competition. Mm -hmm. And the competitive drive that I had started when I was a young kid. And it's frankly continued to this point in my life. Um, I have to have a reason to get up every morning. Um, I still have uh, habits that most people mm -hmm. would think would be silly. Uh, I still work out. I still lift weights. I still stretch. Um, but I'm in a period of my life right now where I'm really into learning. Mm -hmm. And so my life has kind of ran the gauntlet from being an athlete, being a coach, being an executive, and um, being a giver, mm -hmm. um, and wanting to give back more than I, that I ever had in my life. Let's talk a little bit about being a learner, because you said when you went to college it really wasn't about the learning piece, but now... As you've told me before we started this interview, you're a voracious reader, and obviously that comes from a desire to keep learning and developing yourself. When did that passion sort of kick in? Was that something that happened in college, or was it something that happened later in life? And 
Why has that become so important to you? Well, uh, when I was a professional basketball player, you know, we played a lot of games, and I couldn't sleep after games. I, I mean, I would literally be up to 4 o'clock in the mm-hmm. morning. And, you know, I hardly ever left my room. I stayed in the room. And, you know, you, you, you'd watch TV, and uh, you get tired of watching TV. And all of a sudden, I started reading. And, and most of the reading I would, was doing well, really was for pleasure. It wasn't mm-hmm. for learning. And all, all this, every once in a while, I'd get a book that wasn't about you know, a detective story or some mm-hmm. kind of a mystery or, or something, I'd read that, and usually on the life of someone who would accomplish something really special. And I've always been fascinated by uh, a number of our older um, uh, elected officials. Mm-hmm. And I probably think the greatest document ever written was the Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to me how that stood the test of time, how brilliant these people were to write a document like that and for us to even want to touch that today, it's almost offensive. Uh, these people were brilliant. Mm-hmm. And so I've read about, uh, obviously, Lincoln, you know, um, you name it. I've read books on a lot of presidents. And I find it fascinating, uh, the diverse personalities that we have had as president mm-hmm. in our country. And I find today that our leaders, um, are completely different then. They were public servants. Um, their life was to be public servants. And today, I'm not, you know, I'm not real political, but I have my opinions about politicians. Mm-hmm. And um, I've always said to lead is to serve. And I'm not so sure that to lead is to serve someone else. And I just got into this reading and my kind of motto every day is try to learn something every day, whether it's minute uh, or something bigger. Uh, I read the newspaper thoroughly, completely. I read periodicals. I read books. And I read a lot of books. And uh, it's been my pastime. Mm-hmm. And I read every night. And I, I, I live in West Virginia two and a half months a year. I would have no idea how many books I read there. I mean, it's an enormous amount. Mm-hmm. And most of them today are not for entertainment. Mm-hmm. They're for knowledge. Interesting. So you talked earlier about wanting to be a giver, and then as you talked about leadership, you talked about leaders serving, which is a very giving approach to leadership. How does that giving kind of play out in your life now from a leadership perspective uh, at this point in your life? and? in how you use your time and and what could maybe our listeners learn from that about how they should think about their lives, particularly at various stages of life and how giving might play out differently. You know, I think it, it really probably goes back to when I was a kid again. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, when life is a struggle and, um, and there's no financial resources mm-hmm. around, um, if you get fortunate enough in your life to uh, make a little bit more mm-hmm. money and, and have some money, you start to do and believe in causes. And I had a brother killed in Korea, and his name was David West. And I always said, because he was so good, he was like a perfect person. Mm-hmm. If he could be a per- perfect person, everyone loved him. And, you know, someone asked me about him, and I, you know, how after all these years, um, I said, well, he'll be 21 forever in my mind, mm-hmm. and I will be 13. But um, so I got fortunate enough that I was able to do some things uh, for my state university, which put me 
in a position to live the life I have. <clears throat> I got an education, had a platform for um, showcasing that I was a pretty good athlete. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, I felt that I owed them a tremendous um, uh, duty. And so I always want to do something for my brother. There's a learning center there. There's four buildings there, and there's a learning center that's a David West Learning mm -hmm. Center. It's got 80 computers in this room. There's um, tutors in there to help kids that uh, need help. I have two large scholarship funds, obviously, for uh, students in needs and minorities. Mm -hmm. And because I was a basketball player, uh, that's been a big part of my sure. life, too. Sure, sure. So, you know, I've given back to a state that, that I love and I still mm -hmm. love because I live there two and a half months a year. But I think the greatest gratification and the thing that's prompted me to want to give more are the letters that I receive from kids and their parents <clears throat> thanking me for helping them get an mm -hmm. education. And also, uh, every once in a while, some, someone would come up to me and say, you know, I, I can't tell you how much I've benefited from... Um, from going into this learning mm -hmm. center. Uh, so you start to get that, and you know you get so many accolades in life, you tend not to believe any of them after a while. Um, and it's a, it's a cruel, sometimes it's very cruel uh, how cruel the media can be in, in terms of judging you uh, as a person by a win or a loss. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not the way you judge a person. Right. You know, I'm very flawed, and don't mind admitting it, but um, I've always felt that you know you treat people with dignity and respect, and now because of my association with the university, um, it seems like to me that this is what my mission in life is right now mm -hmm. is to give, and I try to help numerous charities in many many ways, um, and um, at the end of the day, uh, just getting a nice letter thanking you for helping. Um, seeing kids uh, kind of let out of harm's way, and I have a great interest in, in kids that live in environments that are less than, um, less than perfect, at-risk kids. Uh, that's probably something that has really resonated with me now, and that will continue to be something, uh, as long as I'm able, as long as I'm capable, uh, that's going to be at the top of my list. And there's another thing going on right now that... Um, it's about really jobs for our veterans. Mm -hmm. um, sure. There's 800,000 unemployed veterans mm -hmm. in this country. They serve us. Uh, we forget them. And I think it's tragic mm -hmm. that uh, we see some of the awful circumstances that the military people have to endure. Mm -hmm. And so that's my, that's something I'm pursuing mm -hmm. right now. Wonderful. I've done it. PSA or two for them, um, being involved with the Northern Trust Open Golf mm -hmm. Tournament. We I know that's them. a passion of yours. Well, and it is a very big passion. Man. We gave a million six to local charities. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I've helped the state of West mm -hmm. Virginia and Los Angeles have been so good to me. Mm -hmm. And giving back a million six this year and a million six last year and a million five the year before uh, to needy charities and that people who work very, very hard um, and again provide services. Uh, provide a safe haven for young kids. Uh, and to see some of these young kids, the first tee program, for instance, they take these young kids that never touch a golf ball or a golf club, and to watch how they emerge as people, um, 
watch how they change their personality. Because golf is probably the greatest test of individual character that anyone could possibly imagine. But it's also about integrity. And these kids, you see some of these polished kids, and you see them become very gifted golfers. Uh, The city contributes... um, you know, you, a kid can play around the golf for $5 and nine holes of golf for $5, which First Tee provides for. They get free lessons. That's they get fabulous. free golf balls. Mm-hmm. But to see the change in these kids, where you got somebody out there that got a harm on them, and, and you know, this is, this is what we're trying to do for you. But to see the progress they make, um, how polite they are, how, um, how thankful they are, those are things that are very meaningful for me today. You know, it's interesting. Um, you are probably one of the most recognized, rewarded, honored uh, figures in sports generally, but certainly in, in the basketball world and professional basketball. And we see so much, it seems like today, maybe more so now than even as you were playing, of, of athletes or individuals, whether they're athletes or not, uh, that are lauded in so many ways that it sort of goes to their head and and leads to behaviors that we might not think are the the most appropriate in terms of being role models. But when you talk about yourself, uh, I heard you use words like, well, I was a pretty good player, and, well, I'm a flawed person. So there's a a deep sense of humility in you as you reflect on who you are and even the kind of basketball player you are, uh, using terms that probably the average person would never use in describing you as an athlete. Where does that humility come from and what role do you think that plays in someone being a a good leader and an effective leader well it's probably the greatest word there is if you're good at something you don't have to tell anyone you're Mm -hmm. good okay um you also should be strong enough to if you're going to accept the praise accept accept the um the opposite side Mm -hmm. of it the tough side of it uh, I think it's, again, I think it's one of the greatest words that there are. I'm no better than anyone else, okay? Because I did something at a different level than most people. I'm someone, I think I'm really easy to be around. Um, I think anyone around me would laugh and have fun. And there's a fun side to me and there's a very serious side mm-hmm. to me. But I think it's something that I learned early in my life that um, don't call, ever call attention to yourself. And these young kids today, I, I don't blame them on that. I really mm-hmm. don't. They get identified so early as athletes by, uh, and the AEU is a huge part mm-hmm. of it. They travel all, the, all over the country. They play against everybody. They become great friends. They decide where they're going to go play ball in school. They stay in school for one year, and you wonder how, how many classes they go to after basketball right. season's over with. There's no but incentive to keep going after that for many of them. If, it, if sure. you're good enough, it's not. Yeah, exactly. And so it, it's just a stepping stone and a small stepping stone to, to what they hope will be a great career. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing that probably kept me very level uh, in terms of who I was is, is the fact that I went to school for four years. Mm-hmm. I got an education. Um, I learned from being a very shy, awkward, backward, socially inept person. Mm-hmm to fit in. And many of these kids today, the only the only people around them are their friends from high school, uh, people who are going to be around them no matter what they do, it's going to be acceptable. And I think that's probably the diff- biggest difference that that I see in athletes and particularly basketball players because they can can come out and play so young. Right. 
and the enormity of the financial rewards for mm -hmm. coming out and playing sure. uh, far outweighs, if they're good enough, far outweighs any education. Mm -hmm. But they don't have the foundation, if they're not quite good enough, they don't have a foundation that will let, let them understand that somebody says, no, you're not good enough, okay? And this can happen in one or two years if they are in professional basketball, mm -hmm. you're not good enough. All of a sudden their friends are gone, okay? They're gone. And what do they have to fall back on? Many of them, it's, it's really tragic some of the stories you see uh, with, with young players. It's tragic to see young kids make so much money and end up with nothing where they could always kind of be a, a trailblazer in terms of making their life lives comfortable, making their family's life comfortable, if they would just have enough discipline, and I'm going to use that word, discipline. Some of them don't have the discipline to do that. They think that there's no end to the rainbow, and there is an end to the rainbow. And if you don't have, if you don't have the tools to um, live a life after you're uh, finished playing, um, it's pretty tough out there because they don't know anything except people giving them stuff, people uh, doing things for mm -hmm. them. Um, entitlement. Um, it's one of the worst things about this country. Everyone thinks entitlement are, are for people who are underachievers or have had tough mm -hmm. luck in life. Um, there's so many entitlements for people who, uh, who are politicians, who are wealthy, who are athletes. It, it goes beyond description, and I, I, I just, I just think entitlements uh, for young kids are a gigantic a red flag. Mm. So, just gosh, just a little bit less than a year ago, you took on a new role with the Golden State Warriors at a time in your life when you certainly don't need to feel obligated to do anything like that. What continues to keep you motivated to want to take on new challenges and new opportunities and? Uh, something like that with, that you're doing with the Warriors? Well, you know, it was a unique opportunity. It really mm -hmm. was. Uh, you know, they didn't want me to work every day, which I wouldn't do. And, and I told them I didn't want to be the voice of their franchise. Uh, I, 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 I basically said everything not to <laughs> get them to approach me. But I happened to like the owners. Uh -huh. And I've worked for two owners in my life, and I've liked them both a lot. And I think sometimes in your life, um, you have loves, okay? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the biggest love of my life has been basketball. Mm -hmm. And it's something that, you know, I've had some success with. It's something I think I know something about. Uh, there's no basketball experts, by the way. There's none. And don't let anyone tell you there are. There's some people that success follows. And why that happens, I'm not sure. But I've been involved in places where, with the Lakers, where... We just seem to have the right formula for winning. Mm -hmm. But probably the greatest achievement I ever felt in my life is when I went to Memphis mm -hmm. because I always wanted to work with a team that had never won. I wanted to work in a small market because the challenge is so much greater. Right. And my friend said to me, why in the world would you want to do something like that? I said, I'm testing myself to see if I am any good. And... I, it was my second year in Memphis. Most games it ever won was my first year. Uh -huh. We won 28 games. I've met 23 before. Right. My second year, we won 50 games. And I think in many ways, it was probably, as an executive, maybe my greatest accomplishment. Um, 
even though we won so many championships here in Los Angeles and, and had so many wonderful players, uh, the obstacles in these smaller markets are enormous. Yeah. And to be able to do that um, in the two years, it was like, my gosh, what, you know, I almost pinched myself. <laughs> Maybe I am halfway decent in what right. I do. Uh, but I'm, you know, it's still a luck for me. That's great. I watch, I watch games every night, mm-hmm. every night. And um, obviously with the NCAA around now, it's a special time for the colleges and, and the kids. And uh, you know, it's a, time a great time of the year. Uh, yeah. It's a wonderful time of year. Do you have a final four pick for the NCAA tournament this year? <laughs> boy, oh boy. I, you know what? I think anyone could win. But uh, Kentucky, you know, I look at, at, at teams, you know, the ability to recruit. Um, I, I would like to see some of these smaller schools have some of these players and mm-hmm. sit on the benches of the major Oh, university. wouldn't that be amazing? Uh, it would be amazing. But these big schools can recruit, and they recruit the, the cream of the crop because they come there, they're going to be on scene on TV, and if they're any good, they're going to be in school one year. Mm-hmm. And um, Kentucky has got four or five first-round draft picks. Yeah. Does that mean they're going to win the NCAA play championship? No. Uh, North Carolina is good. I think Missouri is a dangerous team myself. Mm-hmm. Um, they proved that in the Big 12 tournament. Right. I, I think Syracuse, because they lost a very good player, I, I'm not sure that they're capable of mm-hmm. winning now. And I think Bill F- Self and Kansas is one of basketball coaches' best ever. North Carolina and Duke are going to have mm-hmm. two very good teams. I think at the end of the day, if I had to pick one winner and, and – um, I think Kentucky would mm-hmm. would have yeah. to be right at the top of the list. My husband and I are a little partial to Bill because he played ball at Oklahoma State when we were in school. My husband and I played there, and so my husband and he were teammates. So we are fans of Bill and always hope that he does well. So well, he he's been a great coach. Yeah, and, and you know what? He's even even better person. Yeah, and, uh, he is a fine. And his person. kids conduct themselves. Uh, you never see his kids getting in trouble. Yeah. and uh, I think it's a reflection on who he is as a coach, but more importantly, a leader. Uh, just he's just not going to put up for. Mm-hmm. having kids that are not going to follow the yeah. rules. And I think it's important um, because, again, some kids, they do some things that are less than desirable. And, That's um, true. And you know what? They're embarrassing. They're embarrassing for the athletic department. They're embar- embarrassing the university. But I think, more importantly, they're more embarrassing to their families. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think coaches today hopefully will always understand that you know kids are going to make mistakes. But... Um, you need to have um, you have to sit and you have a system in place that prote- protects the integrity of the program and also the integrity of the university. Mm-hmm. Well, we need to wrap up our discussion here, but I did want to mention before we close that I know you've had sort of a long affiliation with Pepperdine. I understand you and Gary Colson, who was, I think, the coach when they left the uh, campus in LA and came out to the campus in Malibu were close friends and I understand you liked fast cars and motorcycles and you had common interest in that. Uh, well, no, and, no motorcycles. Just no fast motorcycles. cars. And, well, I used to like fast cars. I'm, you know, as I've moved along in my life. And you know, there's another, uh, I married a girl that went to Pepperdine That's University. That's what so. I understand. She went to Seaford College. Right. And uh, so anyway. And I, I think that. you have a son who's a graduate of the business school as well. I do have so. a son, David, who's a graduate mm-hmm. of the business school. As a matter of fact, I saw him last, last night in Oakland. So. Oh, Fabulous. Uh, uh, it was. Um, it's always good to to uh, come out here, and and I, I was driving up here today, and particularly when you drive up high in this campus, I said to myself, "My goodness, you know, maybe I would have come to school out here if I could have had a, some kind of a view over." <laughs> 
Well, unfortunately, we weren't on the campus in Malibu when you went to college. Uh, but I did practice when I first came to Los Angeles. I did practice. We, the Lakers practiced at Pepperdine. That's what I understand yeah. when we were down at the old LA right. campus, right. that that's where the Lakers practice. It's fabulous. Well, we are glad to have you back at Pepperdine, and you're always welcome here. And thank you so much for joining us for the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. Well, thanks for having me. Melinda, that was certainly an interesting conversation with Jerry West. Well, it was so much fun being able to do that interview. As a former basketball player myself, uh, it was really a privilege and honor to be able to talk to him and hear about his experiences. And a very nice guy. Absolutely fabulous guy. And, you know, one of the things he spent a lot of time talking about was how important he thinks it is to give back now that he's at this point in his life. And so we love that message going out. And he really does that and lives it out every day. Absolutely. Well, tell us what's uh, next. I guess this is our last uh, speaker for the series. It is. And we're sort of staying with this sports theme we have going. Uh, We are really uh, looking forward to having Dennis Kuhl, who is the chairman of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, with us. And not only will it be great having him with us, we are actually going to do this at the Diamond Club at Angel Stadium. So wonderful speaker and fabulous venue. Very exciting. Well, thank you for that. Uh, We would like to invite our listeners, if they would like to learn more about the Dean's Executive Leadership Series or to hear past podcasts, to visit our website at bschool.pepperdine.edu slash DELS. That's D-E-L-S. Until next time, thanks for listening. True leaders inspire others around them to achieve. And leadership is a quality that we can help you develop and master. I'm Dr. Gary Mangifico, Associate Dean at Pepperdine University's Grazia Dio School of Business and Management. Our evening and weekend MBA program is designed exclusively for working professionals like you. Our curriculum, faculty, and highly collaborative learning environment stand ready to help you advance yourself and your career. And though our regional campuses are only a short distance from your home or your work, You'll travel further than you ever dreamed possible. Spring and summer semester applications are now being accepted for Pepperdine's evening and weekend MBA program at our Encino, Irvine, West L.A., Westlake Village graduate campuses, and our new Santa Barbara location. Call 800-933-3333. Pepperdine's Grazia Deal School of Business and Management. Master the leader in you.